The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. It turns out today's guest, Linda Jacquin, and I have a lot in common. We were both board members at IONS, and we both served at different times as editor of the IONS publication, Vital Signs. More significant than that, however, is that both of us drowned as children and experienced NDEs as a result. Linda has served as uh, vice president of IONS as well as editor of Vital Signs and is now retired from her own advertising agency. She's also the founder of an annual retreat for near-death experiencers called the Retreat for Near-Death Experiencers, (laughs) where they share their journeys and learn how to integrate it into their lives. Linda has also given talks on near-death experiences across North America, appearing on both radio and TV. She was featured on the DVD documentary Cheating Death, Beyond and Back, and the trailer to the movie Final Destination 2. Linda was also the consultant on the Capstone children's book Near-Death Experiences. Her first-hand experiences with NDEs and her shared death experience are what she will be telling us about today. So, Linda, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad uh, now that we've got something <laughs> technologically working that uh, that you're here with us. This is terrific. First thing I have to ask you was something I heard in another interview. Um, uh, wondering how you got the Cree name Bear Woman. Oh, well, I uh, met at a at a IONS conference. Um, one of the speakers was Andy Natahu, and Andy was a Cree medicine man, Canada. And so we talked about, I talked to him a lot about um, my visions I had of um, Native Americans and how I felt like at some point that I was a Native American in a past lifetime. And so he, uh, he, you know, he, he thought for a moment and he said, Huh? He says, "I'll adopt you ah. to the Cree nation." So the night before the adoption, I in the early, I had this vision, and I saw um, these uh, bears. And first they were polar bears, and then they morphed into black bears, and then the panda bears, and I forgot the last one. Um, Anyhow, so it well, the way it turned out, it was that uh, when I talked, he said, you've just been welcomed into the bear clan from the north. Oh, panda bear was the other one. North, south, east, and west. Now, no oh. more visions. You're scary. <laughs> That's great. Oh, wow. <laughs> so people... Uh, People contemplating whether or not to come to an IONS conference should bear in mind that all sorts of magical things can happen to you when you're there in person. Linda, tell right. us about... I mean... Tell us a, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, uh, tell us about the circumstances leading up to your drowning at age four and a half. When I was four and a half, uh, my parents were at a church picnic that they had at a creek. And um, I can still see my mom um, lying on a blanket with my baby sister. And um, I was down by the, by the creek and I, and um, I had a little shovel and I had a, a red, it was a red pail, a little red pail bucket with a shovel, with a little scoop in it. And I was so excited because they'd given that to me. And so I was at the edge of the at the creek putting pebbles in a bucket. And I heard my mom tell my brother Bobby, who was um seven years older than I was, now you take it you watch after your sister, you know, take care of your sister. So 
I was just putting the pebbles in, and of course, I found some that were a little further out. So I just mm-hmm. went into this a little bit further out. But what happened, I dropped my bucket, my little bucket, my little pail. And when I went to get it, my, I got in the current, and my, the current uh, flipped my feet out from underneath of me, and it pulled me down the creek, and I, lo- I, I was lodged under a, uh, like a branch on the other side of the creek. Wow. And and I was underwater, and I didn't know you couldn't breathe underwater. So I started taking all this water in, and uh, finally I was I popped out of my body, and I was above the the creek, and all, I looked down, and all I could see was this blonde hair floating on water, and then I realized that I was being held by someone, and I recognized them, one of them that it was one of my guardian angels. And apparently there was another angel that was being, he was teaching um, about being an angel. Um, I guess they have angel school in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, um, and she, he said, the younger one said she needs to go back. And the older one said, but it's her choice. And so I was just, it was so sparkly. I just loved all the sparkles, you know? And so then I saw my grandmother when I was little, my grandmother used to rock me all the time. I mean, as a baby. And my mother once told me as an adult, she said, you know, Linda, grandma Riker rocked you so much. We thought you would have brain damage. (laughs) Um, That story's still out. (laughs) But so anyhow, (laughs) She, uh, so they handed me to Grandma Wright, and I felt so safe because I looked, and the sparkles are so, such colors. It's like Fourth of July, but, but, but more like alive. And, mm. um, and when I looked, then when I looked down, I could see these sparkles were coming off the heads of people that that saw I drowned and and what they were were prayers that I wouldn't die. So prayers have an energy and they're they're just like a jewel. They're so beautiful because it's caring for someone besides ourselves. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's pure love that's going up. So when I when they handed me to my grandmother, I was so happy to see her. And I was looking at all the sparkles. She had died when you were two and a half, right? Yes, she had died when I was two and a half. My grandmother, right. You hadn't seen her for two years. No, I hadn't. But I remembered her. I remembered her. And I was so happy to see her. Well, we were both happy to see each other. And Mm. then she was holding me. Oh, I'm going to cry. And then she handed me to Jesus. And I felt safe with my grandmother and I felt safe with Jesus. And what I remembered, he had the kindest eyes. And I just felt safe. And then Jesus said to me, Linda, if you go back, you'll learn many things. And I said, I don't want to. Hmm. I mean, most people wouldn't say that. Jesus, but I was a child that just drowned. I didn't want to go back because it felt horrible to drown. And he just held me. And then all of a sudden, I was allowed to see my brother Bobby. And I was also allowed to feel what he was feeling. And I said, oh, I got to go back for Bobby. Bobby's going to be in a lot of trouble if I don't go back. Mm. And just like that, I was back in my body, and it felt, it didn't it doesn't feel good to drown. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. Everything burns. My nose, my everything burns at, from drowning. And so, somebody was working on me, and they revived me, and I was sick. It was sick to my stomach, and and I I just remember all the people when I was above 
there, they were praying for me that I wouldn't die. Because I could see them all praying, and they were worried. I could hear the prayers coming up that I wouldn't die. And so that's, um, and the love I felt, even though I was so little and so sick, has stayed all my life. So that's the how it happened. That's how I drowned. Yes. But I, I remember as a child when I would go into church. I loved to see. Um, we had stained glass windows, and I'd sit in there, and I loved to see the light and the and the colors coming through the stained glass windows from the sun, and I would see all the little dust bunnies, you know, up in the air. And it, and it reminded me of when I died. The, the, it just brought me a lot of comfort. Yes. But I wasn't allowed to, re- to remember, except for seeing blonde hair floating on water, until I was an adult, until my brother Bobby died. My brother Bobby died when he was 47. And I had, uh, uh, I had a week after he passed, I have a schedule for surgery. So um, I talked to my mom to see if that was, you know, she said, no, you go ahead with the surgery. Well, when I was in the surgery, some, everything went wrong. And I had uh, a grand mal seizure on the table. And they put me in intensive care. And I was very ill. And they called my, they told me that they had called my husband to come in to, to be with me. And uh, so I, uh, that's all I remember. And when I was in that state, uh, my brother Bobby came. And he had died seven days earlier. Hmm. And he said, Linda, you've got to go back. You can't, it's, it's not your time. You can't, you can't stay. You've got to go back. So he was still telling me what to do from the other side. You know, he was (laughs) saying, I can't do this. So I guess once you're a brother and you have a little sister, it stays with you the whole time. And I'm saying that with love, but it is it is the way brothers are. So right, right. Now, now did you experience a, an out of body uh, event when you saw Bobby, or how did? Where was he when you saw him? Well, it happened so fast. I'm not exactly sure. I was going into the light, and then he t- stopped me and said, "I had to go back. I can't. It's not your time. You have to go back." And I oh. didn't go back to that body that was so sick. Mm. I did not. And I have a feeling we probably had a chat. Um, I don't remember that, but I I know that I really did. But then, you know, I saw my children. I mean, they 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 show me things why I needed to go back. And that and my first husband. But I saw how how that that would be so hard on my children to lose their mother when they were so young. So I went back. But were you assured or reassured seeing Bobby that, that he was okay? Oh yeah. I, that, that was really good. I, I was, I knew that he was all right and he was happy. I said, are you okay? And are you happy? I said, yes, but you have to go back. Uh, did you tell his family after you recovered that you'd seen him? Yes, I did. What was their reaction? It helped them a lot because they knew how sick I was. And it helped my mother a whole lot, too. I said, he's okay, and he's happy. Mm. And um, so I think it helped everybody. But after you're drowning at age four, you didn't tell anyone about what you'd seen, did you? No, I wasn't allowed to say anything until after Bobby died. Oh. And I don't know why. Did you know he was going to die? No. I did not. Hmm. I did not know. But no, I didn't. It, it's, and then I was also at that time married to someone 
who um, didn't believe in the near-death experience or any of that. So it was a very, very difficult time for me because I couldn't talk to it. I didn't ask you at first what religion you belonged to when you saw the light shining through the stained glass windows. I was raised Catholic, Roman Catholic. Hmm. And did you ever tell any of your clergy or a nun about what you'd seen? Yeah, they didn't know what to do with that <laughs> at all. Oh, dear. No, they, they it's like, that's for saints or something. <laughs> they, no, they didn't. <laughs> They were not real helpful. Yeah, I know what you mean. But you did get some confirmation many years later when you were talking to your mother about your drowning, didn't you? Yes. Yes, I did. Tell us what she had observed and what you had always thought. Well, it took a long time for me to, uh, that was suppressed, you know, the, the whole thing about my drowning. Um except for me seeing blonde hair floating in water since I was small until after my brother Bobby died. And I kept seeing this. And so I had a friend who was a a regressive hypnotherapist. And I went to him and I said, I keep seeing this and I need to know what this is, this blonde hair floating on water. And I said, I trust you. And so uh, he regressed me, and I relived the whole thing. And then after that, I decided, well, I'm going to go down and ask my mom if this is real. I mean, I wanted to find the truth. So I made an appointment. That, I mean, I have got called her, and I said, Bob, coming down. So I, she, lives on, she lived 125 miles away from where I live. And so I went down and um, went to her apartment. And so we got to talk, and I told her everything that I just told you about what happened. And she got really quiet. And she said, you know, your dad and I talked about that after after you drowned. And she said, we think an angel pulled you out of the water. Because when we went to thank him, nobody knew who he was, where he went. He was just gone. Wow. So I got my confirmation finally from my mom. Now, was that the younger angel or the older, more experienced angel, do you suppose, that pulled you out? Mm, I, I'm not sure because they were both together. Uh, they were both, <laughs> you know, I don't remember. I probably the younger. I don't know. <laughs> you know, at that point, I, I was not real sure. It was an angel. I know that because they, yes, it was probably the younger one because, um, you know, mom didn't know who he was, and everybody was at this church picnic at a creek, and so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can just envision it could be either one. But, yeah, yeah, oh, sure. Or two aspects of the same angel. Who knows? <laughs> it could be. Mother did tell me, said, you know, two kids almost drowned that day, um, and so they never had another picnic at that creek. Mm. And I would really have liked to see what who the other one that almost drowned was and, and compare stories, but I, that never happened. So, Yes. Well, to uh, we started you at four and a half, took you to adulthood, and now I'd like to take you back to seven and a half, I guess it was, when you had eye surgery. Right. Tell us about that. Well, I was seven and a half. And um, um, I was scheduled for eye surgery. Oh, boy, this is coming. And um, so they, when they did the surgery, they bandaged your eyes so you can't see afterwards. They bandaged both of the eyes. I had amblyopia, which is lazy eye, which means meant that my right eye turned in. Or people call them cross-eyed. And so I, at seven and a half, I had this eye surgery planned. And so I was, um, I was, and, but they didn't, the problem is they didn't tell children that when you wake up from surgery, you're going to have bandages over your eyes and that's okay. So when I, from surgery, mom and dad were there and, 
and I couldn't I try to take these bandages off. And they, you know, they told me not to take them off and it was okay. And I was all right until um, I heard this ding, ding, ding. Visiting hours are now over. And they made my parents leave. Mm. And I was, I was seven and a half. I couldn't see. And I was scared. And I started crying. And then I hear the swish, swish, swish of beads coming down the, the hallway and into my room. And it was none. And she said, now you be a good girl and you stop that crying. And, and then I just bawled more because I was so scared. Mm. And then uh, she walked out again. And then um, somebody was at my bed and, and I was so scared. I popped out of my body and standing next to my bed was um, a, a, a boy that I went to school with. And when I had my surgery, he had been hit by a car and um, and he died. And he was in the hospital and then he knew that to come see me for some reason because so, I knew the way home. This was Jimmy, right? Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy yeah. And yeah. that I knew the way home. And so we grabbed our hands and then this light, the scene opened up this light and we started walking through this light and we could see people in the distance and they were waiting for Jimmy to come on and they were waving to him. And so finally he, he dropped my hand and he ran to him. And then I was about halfway there to them. And then I realized I couldn't go any further that I had to go back. Mm because it wasn't my time to go. And I was back in the body and I was, I was just, I wasn't scared anymore because I felt my angels around me and they, they comforted me. Did you see your two angels? I did. There was an, there was an older one and a younger one. I think he's like in training mm -hmm. because the other one would tell him stuff like, you know, if it, if it wasn't quite right. So this was probably the same pair that you saw at four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. the same one. He was still in training. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, I guess we have training forever. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I knew it, Jimmy was okay. And, and so, yeah. And later when I had, a, a, you know, when I saw my brother Bob and told me he had to go back. I knew he was okay. Yeah. So I have no fear of dying anymore. Was there a tunnel? I mean, was it that kind of classic description of a tunnel or was it just like walking through a door with Jimmy? Mm, I didn't see quite like a tunnel. I think, I guess maybe everybody can see something different, but no, I was just, just walking toward the other people. I didn't see like a, tunnel thing that I remember, but I wasn't that old, you know, mm. maybe I didn't pay attention to it, but I never saw like a tunnel, but I, it was a distance to where his, his, um, you know, family was a little bit, but, and then he broke away, broke my hand, you know, dropped my hand and, and then he ran to them and they welcomed him and then it started fading. And I knew I had, I, I had to, I was back and I had to go back. And to mm. go back. Now, did you tell anyone about this event right away? No, I didn't because I didn't, you know, when you're that little, you just don't, I just never, I kind of kept it, kept it back. And I kind of think spirit um, kind of kept that memory a little bit distant until it was, I was much older and could really understand it. And, um, and that's why when I was older and I, I, I was sick again and I relived it. And then I told my mother uh, as an adult and then, um, about the angel, 
actually thought a dad and her thought an angel pulled me out of the water. Did you ever regret not talking to her about it sooner because you could have had more conversations about angels and the, the other side and what she thought about all those things? Well, you know what? I think spirit kept me from doing that. Hmm. You know, I was growing up and all, but I mean, I the only thing I remember is sitting in church and letting the stained glass and wondering why the statues wouldn't talk to me. Hmm. Like that happened when I was little. Because I was pretty little at that time, too. The church was right next to school. Oh. Did you have any other experiences when you were young that you can remember? Did you think that the statues talked to you, for instance? No, I just remember talking to Jesus. Why wasn't he talking to me now? You know, uh, yes. that kind of thing. Hmm. Not that the statues would talk to me, because that that's a whole different thing, but no. Yeah. I knew they were statues. Yeah. But of course, some people, St. Francis had a, a had Jesus on the crucifix give him instructions at one point in his life. So right. Those things can happen. I know they can happen, but, I, you know, it just didn't happen to, to me that way. Maybe because of my age or whatever. I'm not sure. Of course. But I always felt protected. So that's a good thing. Mm. Now, you told me you're really blessed in being married to Eric, your husband, because he had an NDE himself when he was, I guess, at the point of birth. Right. And so it's sort of, I gather, there are not that many couples that have both experienced NDEs. Right. It must be like a real shorthand when you both understand what the what it's about. Has he described anything about his that, that you could tell us? Well, no, because it was at birth, but he has all the, a lot of the after effects. And so, um, yeah, we, it's, uh, I'm not, I know of another couple that um, have had a near-death, both of them have had near-death experiences. So there have been a few that, that I, I know that are couples that have had them. Um, it does make it easier because, they understand the experience. Each of them understand that. So it makes it easier. Um, my first husband didn't understand it at all. And at times made fun of it. Oh. So that's really hard. That's when I stopped talking about it. Marriages have broken up over events like that. Yeah, but I waited a very long time before I divorced them. But when I really got into the International Association for Near-Death Studies and was on the board, vice president and uh, vital signs editor and all, you know, all the things that do, because I wanted to give back because they helped me all in the years, um, helped me so much that I wanted to give back. And so, um, no, it, and you can't blame somebody that's not had the experience. And not only that, but what they maybe have learned in their faith or their religion or whatever can make them its uh, not understand. Mm. its uh, I think it's getting easier now the more researchers are researching it and, and the numbers of people that have come forward to, to talk about it. But... For a long time, nobody talked about it. So it's a lot better now for people yes. who've had near-death experiences. And I, I like to think that IONS had a lot to do with bringing it to the fore. Yeah. You know, and yeah. working with, uh, well, for instance, Diane Corcoran's working with uh, the military vets who had them but were afraid to talk about them, didn't know how to deal with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. She, a lot of good things have come out of that. I wanted to ask you, you told me you were with your mom when she was dying. Yeah. And she had a vision of what was to come. Can you tell us about that? My sister, uh, my niece came out of the room that my mother was in. She says, Aunt Linda, mom just said, Jesus is at the door. Shall we let him in? And her eyes as big as saucers. And I said, okay, let's go inside. And I went in and I was with mom. And I said, you know, it's okay, you know, um, and I asked her if she'd like to, to talk to her sister 
or, or her, any of her children one more time that hadn't gotten there. And she said, yes. And so she talked to her sister and she said, you know, and Alvina, I'm tired. She says, and I think I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to go home. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I think it's going to be just fine. Hmm. And just a little while later, she closed her eyes and she went home. Yeah. Not, not the home that we normally think of where we live in this lifetime, but she went home to her afterlife home in heaven. And didn't you say that she saw a beautiful lady and, and a dove over her bed? Yes, she did. She said, she's so pretty. She's so pretty. <laughs> well, she being Catholic, do you suppose she was seeing Mary? I kind of think she did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think no matter what religion you are, or what if you you see what you're supposed to see. I know. All of these events are so personal, so personalized. They are. They're such a gift. I had a guest on at one point who said they were walking through a field, this person who who was having the near-death experience and a guide, and everything was so beautiful in front of them. But they said they they looked back at one point, and it was disappearing. Mm. And the guide basically was, was saying, this was created for you. This, this is for you. Right. And I had another guest recently who said, I was told not to look back <laughs> uh-huh. on the same walk. So it's really interesting how, I mean, we think there are millions of people, you know, and so many uh, uh, people dying every, every day. How is this possible that it can be so, um, that, that we can be so important? That some that a whole vision is created just for us to bring us home. Hmm. That's a really beautiful thought. You know, we're individuals. Every soul is a little different. None of us are exactly the same. And I wonder how that happens with all the millions of people. Hmm. I mean, we have some of the same likes, and we may look some similar, but the soul is unique. I think. Yes. Have you, uh, as a as the uh, VP and editor of Vital Signs, did you hear many stories that more than intrigued you? Were there any that just drew you right in? I know I, I had some like that. Yeah, there are always stories, that, are, and I love hearing all of them. Mm. But when you think about it, each one is made just for the person having the experience. And each yeah. life is different. Yeah. And that is amazing to me. Some philosophers have surmised that God is uh, just entertaining himself by being a part of every one of our lives, <laughs> the, working through the, the conflicts and the, and the uh, expressions of love and the other expressions as well, I guess. Mm. Just uh, the diversity of it. And this is only one planet, you know? Yeah. Things could be going on in planets on in, and also in other universes, you know? <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to ask him it's our, her, or her. I know. Well, people do. They'll have a near-death experience and ask the questions, get the answers, and then, damn it, they don't come back with them because they're not allowed to. I know. <laughs> I think it's because our soul is one thing, but our it's our brain that's interpreting what the soul learned. Right. And the brain just doesn't have the capacity that the soul does. No, it does. It does not have the capacity. No, it does yeah. not. Are you doing any writing about this? Contemplating a book, perhaps? I am. I call it the God Journal. Nice. And I write in my journal and I ask God questions and then I just meditate and then I start automatically writing what I I get. And um, it has helped me a lot. Oh. Well, could you give us some examples? Well, the one that I asked God, how can I help other people? And the answer got is a smile, a word, a kind gesture can change 
misery to hope, doubt to clarity, and loneliness to peace of mind. Love is your compass, compassion your guide. And I try Mm. to live by that every day. Oh, that's lovely. I know uh, small gestures can basically save lives. It can. I mean, you never know if you open a door for somebody or you smile at them that if they are having thoughts of killing themselves, that small kindness could could have them say, well, maybe tomorrow. Uh, maybe tomorrow. I, You know, I'll put it, I'm not going to do it today, but maybe tomorrow. And then everything in their life. We never know what people are really struggling with inside their mind and mind and and their body what they're dealing with but being kind can just be a smile it could just be a word or open in the door for somebody it doesn't have to be really big it doesn't cost any money it's just being kind if you were president of ions today what would you like to see the organization do Exactly what they're doing now. I think they're doing a wonderful job. Oh, good. They're expanding more, and um, um, they're, they're, I think they're doing good, good work. And I think, um, I think the other thing is that Yolaine Stout and I started the retreat uh, for near-death experiences in St. Louis. Actually, Yolaine started um, um, the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences for uh, people studying it, took the other part of the experiencers and started the retreats. And so we've been having these retreats once a year. Oh, gosh, I, can't, I have to look back and see what year we started it and how how many years has it been, but it's been a long time. And the experiencers, you have to be an experiencer. It's for experiencers only. And we go to the Mercy Center and for two and a half days. And we have, we talk, we have, everybody gets to tell their near-death experience. We, we work different projects of, um, and we talk about them and, um, people can go on, um, on nature walks there and meditate and they have a, um, it's a, just a beautiful spot. So it's, um, we didn't have it last year because of COVID. So, but we are going to be having another one probably next year. So it's, um, uh, it's 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 a it's a nice place where just experiences can be with other experiences, and so you don't have people wanting to um, they're doing a study or that. It's just it's just being able to talk to someone else about their experience. So that it uh, it has helped a lot of people. It's helped me every year I go. That personal contact is always so uh, so amazing. Um, I, I get it at uh, conferences, the annual conferences, that when they're done in per in person. I mean, you learn a lot from the Zoom editions, but it's nothing like being there in person. Yeah, and going into a room where maybe half the people there have had a near death or similar transformative experience. The energy is remarkable. Oh, the energy is palpable. <laughs> Yeah, you can feel the energy, that's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and just between sessions, just being in the hall and talking to somebody who has a experience or tag on their on their shirt and yeah. saying, well, you know, tell me what you, you saw, what happened to you. The the um, it it's so um, uh, enlightening, I guess, in the in the uh, in the big sense of the word. It's, it's very inspirational. It is. You know, I think one of the things that um, I have gotten for my 
near-death experiences is that I'm not afraid of dying. And it's, I tell people it's like walking through a door into a different, into a different realm. And, but so people are so afraid a lot, a lot. I think some religions use as a tactic to make people afraid so that they can, if they believe exactly what this, whatever religion is, tells them, you know, that's the, you know, they, but it scares people. And that's not what, that's not what God is about. It's not about being afraid and I shall not. It, it should be, I will help other people. I, and then it, when you help someone else, it's a win-win. Everybody wins. Hmm. Or if you just are kind to each other, it makes a, a much better world. What's your take on distressing near-death experiences, the ones that Nancy describes? Yeah, I think it's a wake-up call. That's the only thing I could think of. I've never had a distressing one, but a lot of people have learned from them. It's a learning experience. And and I've heard of other people having a distressing one, and when they, you know, they they want to be with God, they want to be there, then things change, and it, and they're, they're allowed to be there. I've had, I've heard of those before. Have you heard of any of those in, in all of the time that you've been interviewing people or talk to people? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are some people that were told they had to come back and never yet have accepted <laughs> that, you know, that because it was so, it was so amazing right. and enlightening over there. And, and, and the love just was endless. But at the same time, I've had people who were tight, terrified because they got a glimpse of uh of you know a bottomless pit with a lake of fire mm. i had a formerly hindu now christian man who who had an experience like that uh just in one of the recent shows and um it, you know people uh as you know people don't like to hear those stories yeah but again these these are so personal every every near-death experience is so personalized Right. It is. Yeah. So instead of generalizing and saying, well, there's a hell out there, uh, people can create their own hells depending on how they're dealing. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah. People can create their own hell. I think what it is basically is a physical manifestation of being cut off from God's love. Absolutely. If you're talking about a burning lake of fire, that might be a way of, of being forever without without the love of God. Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy. I concur with that because being away from that, it's like being away from a parent when you're a child and and you can't see them and then you get scared. It's it's the same kind of thing, but you can be an adult and feel that too. That's the thing that image that came in my head. So well we're all I think longing for God's love. And what we can do is provide it a spark of it, you know, to one another. If we're just, uh, if we're just open to it, open to get giving it and open to receiving it. Right. And so many people are, are frightened of that. And so they turn away. And one of the gifts I think of near death experience is to, to uh, give permission to behave that way. Right. To understand that compassion is the path we're on on earth. Right. And I found that that has done more for me than anything. Just something, nothing big. I'm not out there and going to cure the world or do this or that. It could just be opening a door for someone or saying something kind to someone or, you know, it doesn't have to be huge. It could be little, but to that person, it's huge because we see them. Yes. And I think in this world with COVID and everybody masking up and all of that, people miss the interaction with other people. And yeah. just being able to see somebody or just wave at somebody. You may not even know them. It's okay. Mm. Just like, I see you. <laughs> You're here. I see a person with you. 
Maybe it's just me because I'm a more extroverted. Yeah, I take my dog on a two-mile walk every day around town, and I wave at every car, <laughs> whether they wave back or not. I just <laughs> I know, but you know what? That might be the thing that makes them think, well, hey, maybe I, I'll be around here another day or something. You know, they, it, you just never know. Mm. And it's important to thank people. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's really important to say a kind word to people. You know, I try to say that at the grocery store when I'm checking out. Thank you. you know, and they don't get that. Most people are surprised, but they love it when you when you see them like that. And just say thank you. I, I hope you're having a good day. The vision you had when you were four and a half of prayers going up like blessings, right. visible blessings. That's so uh, important that we pray with our hearts. Yes. Just a couple of words sometimes. Yes. And we can launch one of those. Some people have called them elementals. Uh, Doskalis, a Greek Orthodox bishop, I believe, yeah. called them elementals. And you can send up bad ones, too. You can you can send out hate thoughts. But why do that? Oh, yeah. And there are people that do that. I just wondered if everybody would send kind thoughts. Um, maybe we wouldn't have as much hate crimes going on or just, it would get better. It would be different. You know, just it's happening a lot more than it should. And the consequences of not doing it like this terrible shooting that just took place in Texas. Right. That's what I was thinking. If someone had just been kind to this 18 year old at the right moment, in his life at the right moment it could have stopped him right there that he would have changed his mind right. about what he did right not shot his grandmother not shot all those kids not shot the teachers yeah i'm really having a hard time wrapping my mind around what he did i look at his eyes and he looks already dead you know they had a picture of him a photograph of him yes i saw it and his eyes there was no light in them it's like it had been cut off, and you don't know how early in his life cut off. Well, there is madness. I'm not condoning him. I'm not condoning yeah. what he did at all. It was so wrong in so many ways. And I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't know what. It's just that I saw that his, his eyes were dead. Nothing. No light in there. And yet, who knows? Some small thing in his past might have changed it. Right. So we should be trying, even if it's just waving to a car, yeah. you know, maybe. Right. A, waving maybe to a car is great. Maybe a car with a guy's got a gun in his, in the side pocket and he's about to do something with it. Yeah. Might just change the world. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. If we all start seeing each other and just wave and say, you know, it couldn't, that's for sure. I really think kindness is the way to go. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. No. It doesn't cost any money to say hi or open a door for somebody. Or, you know, I go to, and so it, in all these, it's a grocery store chain, and you have to put a quarter in, then you get your, uh, basket and it's all outside and then when you bring it back and you get your quarterback and so a lot of times i'll just hand the basket to somebody come in and i said no i don't want the quarter just pass it on to someone else <laughs> it's such a simple little thing but if everybody started doing that do you know how many people would smile mm. when you hand them a grocery basket <laughs> for goodness sake yeah it can change their attitude for the whole day right you never know but it's worth making the effort, even if even if it doesn't change anything. Not just that; it makes me feel good to give somebody a basket that that I, you know, my quarter. I mean, it doesn't. It just it's a quarter. It's <laughs> not like a lot of money, but you think I gave them, you know, a ten dollar bill. But it's but they, you know, it's kindness. I think that's what it is. It's just being yeah. kind. There are lots of quarters. It's not the quarter. It's the kindness that's the important it's thing. The kindness. 
And then I always try to say thank you to the checker. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because some people aren't real nice to the checker. (laughs) There's a member of our congregation who's on food stamps and he runs out on a regular basis. Yeah. And one day he was short of money to buy that. He was standing in line. He didn't realize that he didn't have anything left on his card. And someone behind him said, here, I'll get, I'll pay that for you. Yeah. And the transaction happened. He went a couple steps and he turned back to thank the man and he wasn't there. So (laughs) like your angel. (laughs) Yeah. Things do happen from time to time as well. And it can just be a small thing, but it, but it made a huge difference in his life, a huge, huge difference in his whole spiritual understanding of the way things are. Yeah. Well, Linda, I want to thank you so much (laughs) for sharing your experiences with us today. And I was going to say, if listeners have any questions or comments for you, they can leave comments where this show appears on our YouTube channel. There's a comments column underneath. And if you look at that from time to time, somebody has a question, you can reply to it. Okay. Just something to think about if there's any other way they can get in touch with you or find out if you get that book published. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can always put that in your comments section too. You can comment and replies. I'm going to have to learn how to do this because I'm pretty non-techno savvy. So... I'll talk to you, Lee, and we'll figure it out. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again. (laughs) Oh, thank you. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 450 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE Radio site and hit the Past Shows button at TalkZone or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.